Unedited with Cameron Strang is brought to you by World Vision's upcoming Global 6K for Water. It's a one-day event on May 4th where people from all over the world walk and run 6K in their own neighborhoods to bring lasting clean water to children in need. Find out more and sign up at worldvision6k.org. I'm Cameron Strang, and welcome to Unedited. My guest today is singer and songwriter Abner Ramirez. Together with his wife, Amanda Sudano, they make up the popular R&B folk duo, Johnny Swim. Now, normally I would have had both members of one of my favorite groups on the show today, but Abner was in town by himself for a unique reason. I'll get to that in a minute. Johnny Swim's music is a blend of soul, folk, pop. You can't quite put your finger on it. It's unique. It moves you. To see Johnny Swim perform live is an unforgettable experience. The chemistry between Abner and Amanda is palpable. The audience is wrapped around their finger the the whole time. You might remember that last fall, Johnny Swim was on the cover of Relevant. It was an amazing story. It helped me see their music in a new light. You can check it out at relevantmagazine.com if you missed it. It was actually during that time together for the story that Abner and I realized our shared love of basketball. We swapped stories. I told him about my alter ego jokingly heckling players and refs during games. And he told his stories like, you know, being on the championship parade float with his good friend, Steph Curry. What? Well, when his warriors came to play my magic recently, Abner flew in to go to the game with me. Yep. He flew across the country to see a basketball game. Hey, I would too. That's why I like him. So that's why today's episode is just Abner. But we cover a lot of ground on this one. Uh, Johnny Swim has a new album called Moonlight coming out April 19th. You'll hear about it first. We also talk about his faith, how he pursued Amanda. It's a great story. Basketball, what Chip and Joe are like in real life. And at one point, he gives some really good relationship advice. Now, I want to say Abner's in a good mood because we recorded this interview before we went to the game. A few hours after this, my magic actually beat the Warriors. It would have been a very different conversation had we tried to record it afterwards. Without any further ado, here is my friend, Abner Ramirez, unedited. Dude, thanks for coming in. This is so fun. You are finishing up an album. You just yes, finished it. Just finished. People will be hearing it in a couple months. Yes. And you're taking <laughs> you're taking a break to come watch some basketball with me, and I appreciate it. Bro, it is such a pleasure. <laughs> Literally, I was getting on the plane today, and my mom woke up. My mom's visiting from Florida, from Jacksonville. She's in LA right now. Uh-huh. And she's like, so what are you going to Orlando for? Is it a work trip? I was like, no, I'm going to a basketball game. She's like, you're going from Los Angeles to Orlando for a basketball game? Yeah. I was like, yeah. Yeah, you don't understand. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to a game. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you got to do, man. You're an Enneagram 7. You got to say yes to stuff like that. You know what's funny? When the, the Enneagram was first described to me, somebody said, they, usually, they literally used this example. Like a 7. If somebody calls them and says, hey, man, there's this cigar. It's the best cigar in the world. You can only smoke it in Moscow, and there's only one, and you have to be here tomorrow. A 7 immediately starts looking up flights. Right. And so, yeah, so I'm here. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a thing of like, okay, so you're, I mean, everybody knows. Uh, everybody knows you probably knows. You're friends with Steph Curry. Yeah. Arguably the best basketball player in the world. Maybe some LeBron fans might have some <laughs> different opinions, but like, you know, a champion. And you guys were here. You and Amanda were here 
few months ago when you were recording and we were doing the cover story and stuff. And, and our office is a block from the arena. And I'm telling you, this is like right before the basketball season started. And I was getting excited about the new season. Yep. And I was telling you some of my stories of yelling at players and getting shoes thrown at me and stuff. And, and you're, <laughs> and you're like, you're listening and you're laughing and you're like, yeah. And you tell me your story of, yeah. So when I was on Steph's championship parade float with him, <laughs> da, 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 I was just like, my story sucks. No, man. All my stories are no. terrible compared no. to Abner stories. What's really funny about the float though was that so I brought Joaquin with me and we're on Steph's float. So every every float is two players or a player and a coach or whatever. Yeah. So ours is Steph and I forget who else. But because it's Steph's, we have the trophy the vast majority of the entire parade. And it's ours through all of Oakland. Like ours. And so I bring my son, you know, he's three at the time. And like this will be one of his earliest memories being on a parade float Crazy. with the champions. We're going to be holding the Larry O'Brien trophy. And so we have pictures, me and Joaquin, at the front of the parade, holding the trophy, front of the float. And he spent, say, it's a, say it was three hours, he spent two hours and 42 minutes on YouTube <laughs> and had no interest whatsoever with what was going on around him. That's when I chucked the phone. No, yeah. you will. My, my son's nine now. Yeah. He has no interest in basketball. Oh. I, I have these floor seats to the yeah. games. I mean, like... It, it, it matters to me and he'll go with me and then like half time I was like can we go home now and I'm just oh, like no, no. Oh, no. do you understand this and so now I, I only bring him to like preseason games because yeah. like if we have to leave early I don't care but right. like I'm not going to waste those seats on somebody who doesn't appreciate it <laughs> so then when so I knew that you were a real fan I was yeah. like hey you should come out for Warriors and you literally what two days later sent me a screenshot you booked the ticket yeah yeah, like, literally I love it so the Warriors are tonight it's yeah fun. man happy to be here for it so okay so tell me about the new album like, like, give people a sneak peek, bro. So our album, I'm so I'm so excited about this album. It's the best thing we've ever made, other than our children and our life together. It's so the best hold musical on, hold baby. On. As an artist, you're aware of that. I think so. Yeah, and it's tough to compare things. Uh, it's, and it's not even just a comparison. I think it's the uh, the evolution of a thing, right? Like as it as it grows, as it as it continues and it matures. I look back at stuff and I'm, I'm so proud of all the stuff we've done. I'm so proud of Diamonds and I'm proud of Georgia Capond and, and the songs on there. And I see them still connect to this day, uh, singing, you know, people singing Take the World at their weddings and all that stuff. It's beautiful and it's awesome. And it doesn't take away from anything in the past. But then there's this thing that you feel like you've grown to. I, I don't feel like we just are on this road and we've, we've stumbled across this next album. I feel like we, we grew to it. Mm. We couldn't have made this album two years ago. We couldn't have made this album a, a year ago. This album is so us right now. It's it's our hearts right now lyrically. It's uh, the album's about love, but it's it's called Moonlight because most of the representation of love is only what you see in the sunshine. It's that hilltop sunflower, bright, beautiful day. But the reality of love mostly lives in the moonlight. It lives in what can't be seen, the good and the bad. When you love someone truly, you avail yourself to pain you would never avail yourself to otherwise. You can hurt like you've never hurt before. You can be betrayed like you've never been betrayed before. And so I feel like there's always that season of life where everybody's getting married. And then you go through a season of life where everybody's getting divorced. And that's where we're at now. And everybody's getting divorced or getting cheated on or like... It's, it, in your peer group? Not so much in our peer group, but in our... In what our, friends specifically? I'm kidding. So, so there's two of our friends. <laughs> no. uh, you know, just our... our the, uh, close enough to affect us, I guess. You know, not our... We're lucky that our... our, our we have a group of friends in LA where we do a worship group together. Like we literally get together at the house and we worship and we pray for each other. And in that posse, you know, the marriages are strong. We're really grateful for that. Um, but yeah, and our, our, some friends, well, what's guys, the word for friends that aren't like real close? What's that word? 
I don't know. You know, friends without benefits. I don't know. <laughs> you you guys are coming up on your ten year anniversary. Three weeks from today. Crazy. And so, like that is that thing that you know the seven year itch, like seven to ten, is yeah. really that season when a lot of couples are big time looking to see like, is this what I want for the rest of my life? Yeah, yeah, big time. And so it's uh, I mean, there's love songs on the album, but there's such a oftentimes as songwriters, I don't know how I feel about something, and I think Amanda would say the same. We don't know how we feel about something until we write about it. We don't know how to even describe it. I don't know. How, I couldn't sit and just tell you how I feel about heartache that i feel for someone else or even like there's a breakup song on there that is really for someone that's still together they're still this is terrible they're married and i think they should not be together i think it's like the most unhealthy whatever so you, you wrote a song about them for them, for them. do yeah. they know it's for them no oh man <laughs> and uh oh man but when you sit and you start writing about like all the feelings you have even the passionate the 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 real genuine like romantic love Sometimes I don't, we don't even know how we feel about a thing until we start to sing it, until we start to put melody and, and prose to it. And so this album for us is as much a revelation as it is uh, a piece of work that we've created. It's something that we've mined. These are songs that we, we dug for, not just songs that we tried to put words together that rhymed for. How, when you write songs that are so personal to where you're at right now, and you go out on the road and your fans want to hear songs that they love from where you were. Yeah. The way you guys are, the way you guys perform um, is like your connection on stage is very palpable and very obvious. And you guys um, just seem like you're in it. The words you're yeah. singing are dripping with sincerity. <laughs> so it's like, if you're singing stuff that you're not there anymore, how do you conjure that up? Yeah. Well, first of all, we don't. We're not genuine, so we got you. So we're faking it really well. I'm kidding. We don't fake it. <laughs> no, I think. Uh, well, there's an element of performance. I mean, for sure, to. for sure. To. But the line is, it's not to say it's blurred is ridiculous. It's like woven together, performance you, and sincerity. It's all. It's all a part of the same thing. Like yeah. it's. I don't. A man and I can get on stage having just argued backstage, and this right. has happened not yeah. a lot, but a few times. And I will literally be so frustrated or mad or she will be that we don't even want to talk to each other and it's showtime and we go up and we're going to sing love songs. And I look at her and in those moments, maybe the seconds before it, I didn't want to sing the song to her or with her, but there is something that breaks even as we're on stage and it's happened. We'll, we'll even just look at each other as from our microphones and we'll be singing these songs and the argument in that moment begins to melt away. And the, the only reality is that reality that we're living in that moment. And that's been really good for our marriage, to be honest with you. But for me, like my father is my hero. My well, dad. Wait, wait, hmm? How is it good for your marriage? Because you can't stay in the negative space. It forces you out. It forces yes. you to reconnect. For sure. You can't, it absolutely forces you to not stay in the negative space. You don't have the option to. Yeah, because there's like a thousand people out there that are like swept up and they need a moment and you've got to like get past it yourself for them almost. And I think because the performance, what you alluded to earlier, the performance, yes, we're performing. Could we fake it and stay mad at each other? Absolutely. Will we at some point? Maybe. Have we? No. We've, we've never faked a love song on stage. Never. Mm. Maybe I've been hungry and thinking about food at the same time. But it... We have so built our lives on honesty, and we hope that what people see when they come to a Johnny Swim show is an honest performance, and when they hear a Johnny Swim song is an honest song. We've built ourselves that way to where our fans expect it. Hmm. And I think 
I, I, it doesn't, we don't have, we don't let ourselves, or we don't know how to. We don't know how to get up and fake it. So even if we're mad, it's good for our marriage because it's almost like we're talking about it while we're going through it. The same word, there's a, what's it called? The Meisner method of acting, where you just repeat a word back and forth and you experience all the different things. The same word could mean relevant, relevant, hmm, relevant. Mm-hmm. And it could be like a good thing. It could be insulting. Mm-hmm. It could just be nothing. You know what I mean? We mm-hmm. sing these songs that we sang the same words to over and over. But at the same time, man and I are having this completely unique experience singing words that we've said many times before. How do you get, how do you do that? Like, so you're talking not to your bandmate, you're talking to your wife, you're singing words to her that you wrote to her. Yeah. And now, yet again, we just got (laughs) to do it like again, and the crowd needs the same thing, and I got to do the same kind of cute line at this same moment, because that's what people want from us. And like, what if you aren't feeling it? I mean, I'm not saying... Yeah. Like, like, I, I wrote that when I was... We were newly married, and I don't, I'm not there anymore. I'm yeah. 10 years into this thing. Yeah. Like, we're at a new place. We're writing a new album that's not like that album. That's like, right. how do you sincerely do it? I think you find the things that are sincere. You okay. find the moments. You don't have to mean, like, for us, I don't have to mean 100% of every word. And I don't know that I could. I feel like I'd be exhausted, really, really exhausted by the end of every song. Right. I think there's sentiments that you hold to. So there's a sentiment, a sentiment that right now is this for me. And maybe the next time I sing the song, I'll feel a different kind of sentiment that I'll hold to or a different lyric that I'll hold to. I think you find these anchors that you hold to kind of in a, like in a conversation, you don't, you find a thing, you feel, okay, this is that thing. Let's talk about that. And the words may, there may be more words than you need, but this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm getting at. Hmm. Who's this thing? I don't know if that answers the question. Who knows? <laughs> do you, like, how do you keep finding i mean obviously life keeps changing evolving and stuff like that but like you said you mentioned on this new album you wrote a song observing your friend's marriage yeah like are you are you living your life thinking about like ooh, that's that's a song or ooh, that's a topic we gotta Uh, tackle not always no but yeah (laughs) (laughs) because like i don't like i don't like go through my day-to-day like thinking ooh, we should do an article about you know what i mean like i just don't think like that but you're you've got to create this I don't know. You got to create art. I'm not creating art. Yeah. Yes, you are. But no, not always, right? Like it's not, I think it stands out. Like something, somebody will say a thing and like, ooh, that's a line. And we'll literally like do a voice note. Oh, for real? Yeah. That's your process? And it'll just stand out. Yeah. Often, Evernote actually, but yeah. And, uh, or just literally write it down and see if it sticks later. Sometimes you read something you wrote down, you're like, yeah, that doesn't really connect anymore. That was, that was silly. But you know, you're not always looking for things, but you're, you, uh, you're open. It, yeah, you're open, man. It's a sensitive thing, writing songs. It's a be it, it, creating art is a is a very heart forward. That's I mean that's why it's some of the most bitter, like cynical people are musicians because they live with their heart out and they're actually super sensitive and they're actually super genuine, but it hurts too much and so they have to build this shell that looks opposite of that, you know. And so I think as artists, you you do you hear things, think you know something connects, and what's tricky is more often than not, it's a thing that doesn't stand out in the moment that sticks with you the longest. There will be a thing that you didn't, that maybe you just brush over, but then later as you, you're writing a song, something will come up or you'll be able to see an instance of a thing you said or a thing you heard someone say or something you saw, an act of kindness, an act of seemingly kindness, but really they were, they were being rude and they didn't maybe want you to know that. Yeah, I think you just live with your eyes open. Are you ever afraid of like the well going dry like the songs man no like really? not at all um 
I'm never worried about running out of oxygen either. You know, like it's just, it's there. I'm not, wow. I'm not really worried about running out of food, even though I eat like I'm worried that I'm not going to have food. <laughs> no, man, songs, it's not, uh, it's not, I, I used to think that way. But I don't used you to think, think, I mean, I've, you almost hear like, you hear about artists that like, like, yeah, just like there was a season of life and then it flowed and then it dried up. Yeah, I guess. But yours is wired different. I think, I, I think if you think about it, the only way I could possibly put myself in those shoes if I think about creativity as a consumer forward object. If I think about it purely as consumerism, am I going to write songs people are going to like? Right. That stresses me out. Okay. That I could think about that drying up. I, it might be done. It might be done already. Right. You know? But I've just, I don't live there. I, my man and I don't live there. It's, uh, again, it's just, I'm living. As long as I got air to breathe, I'm going to have stories to tell. As long as I have real, genuine relationship mm-hmm. with people around me, as long as I'm paying attention, mm-hmm. there's going to be stories to tell. And what, what, I, what a man and I really find pull out of us is we write, we write and we tell stories for people that feel like they have to carry those stories by themselves anyway. Meaning, we, a song, Let It Matter, is one of my favorite songs we've ever written because it's so specifically for folks that carry sadness all alone and they feel like they have to be strong. And being strong looks like being sad alone in my room and putting up a good front for everybody else. Nah, man, if it matters, let it matter. Hmm. If, your heart, if your heart's breaking, let it ache. You know, let, let's... That's to me. That's what song. That's what our job is as songwriters, specifically Man and I. I think it's different for everybody. Everybody's lane is bespoke unto them. It is literally their custom tailored lane in life. But for us, we want to sing songs that people listen to and are like, "Oh, I'm not the only one that's felt that way," or that gives permission for people to either be happy or gives permission to people to be able to really mourn something. I feel like uh, it's. It is another aspect of our life being lived is writing songs. It's not, it's not just let me get these things to rhyme and hopefully people want to listen to them and buy it and stream it enough so we can keep making our mortgage. If I started to think about it like that, I think one, the songs would change, and two, for sure, I'd be terrified of the well running run dry. Do you, uh, I mean, you two have a really unique dynamic. I mean, it, it feels like, almost voyeuristic to go to one of your concerts where like we're watching you guys on a date on stage, you know? (laughs) And like when you're at home, you know, that tension, you know, they, you know, they, it's tough for husband and wife to work together, you know, like in a business or whatever, because you bring the stress home, you bring the work home with you. Do you guys like, is it, have you guys found a rhythm where you can separate the two or is it just all one big ball of marriage? Like what, how are you guys doing that? Yeah, I don't know. We, uh, it's definitely not consciously, whatever we're doing. I feel like we're both... Do you have boundaries on like, no, this is home time. This isn't like, don't talk about the tour. Don't talk about the album. Typically, the only boundaries we have are don't talk to me until I have coffee. And that's Amanda. Because I'll wake up and be ready to just talk about everything and any idea. I think we, we found a, we've definitely found a balance. We're so two peas in a pod as, as we are... We're so similar in so many ways, and we are super different. She's a nine. I'm a seven. So that, that leans into, like, similarities maybe seeming more prevalent than they are, because she's happy to just, she like... she can adapt to you. Yeah, she'll just adapt, right? Yeah. But she'll I think we... stuff it down. 100%. I feel like... Until she's done, because she's yeah, definitely nine. She'll stuff it down and then break the dishes. Oh, that's exactly right. <laughs> we, uh... Man, I don't know. You know what's funny is we always... We have a quick answer to this that we always give. And I'm trying to give you... I'm challenged in the... 
in this format to give you a, a better, more honest answer. The quip is we don't know what balance is because we don't have any, like it's just life. This is life. Life is babies, the road, challenges, question marks that we're not going to fuss over being answered just yet. Meaning, are people still going to buy the music? Are people still going to come to the show? You know what? Things are going to be what they are. Let's focus on what we enjoy. Yeah, we don't, we don't make a balance. But I do think there's a rhythm to life that we found where we know, and it comes in seasons. The, the benefit of music is it's not a nine to five. I can go a week. I can go months without writing. I can go years without writing songs as far as business. Now, I like writing songs, so I won't. But there's rhythms to it. You know, we really put the pressure on when we made this album. We were in the studio. She was in the studio pregnant. She was in the studio singing vocals with a big old nine-month pregnant belly, laying on the couch, singing the vocals. As soon as we got the take, she put the microphone on the floor and fell asleep. And we started editing, like, comping her vocal takes. <laughs> Two, uh, literally three weeks after that, she was in the studio, singing in the booth, holding a newborn. So there's, we couldn't live there all the time. Mm -hmm. But that season needed a lot more energy than other seasons we needed to be we're gonna make this album work it's gonna happen even the creative space of all right we're two songs short of an album like where are we at let's really pull something out you know and you end up writing five songs and three of them maybe are trash whatever but then there's seasons where you're just like figuring out if you can make croissants or not because they said it was really hard to do and i wanted to make sure i could do it so i spent a month trying to figure out how to make croissants taking the kids to school of course you did cooking at home <laughs> dude i'm say, i'm actually that's in the same way it's like i am like i get interested in something i'm gonna go all in i'm gonna like conquer it and then i move on exactly. you probably haven't made a croissant in forever i i hadn't made a croissant in a year until the other day because my oh, okay. son for his birthday wanted a croissant <laughs> But you know what you need to know about croissants. That's right. You're satisfied. And happy to walk now away Now I got it. a next thing. Yeah. Do you guys ever, like, when you're putting an album together, do you kind of keep track of who wrote what and how much of Abner's on there, how much of Amanda's on there? Totally. Really? Absolutely, yeah. Who uh, wins? I mean, like, who, like... If anybody's going to win, it's Amanda. Yeah, that's, yeah, but yeah. that's just a life yeah, good, law. Good. That's a law of life. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know what's funny is my father-in-law and my mother, you know, her mom was Donna Summer, so this massive superstar, you know, uber celebrity, over 100 million albums sold, world tours, all this stuff. Uh, Bruce was like the silent, like in the, in the shadows, writing the songs with her, in the trenches, I'll say, not in the shadows. Getting, like, doing the real grimy work, writing the songs, doing the thing, making sure the tour's working right, not getting a lot of the shine or whatever, right? He, he's a hero to me because of that, because of how, not even because of that. He's a hero to me because of who he is, and this is one aspect of who he is, right? And I remember uh, first album, we were listening down to all the songs before we were done. This is Diamonds. And he's like, you know, there's not enough Amanda on this album. And I was like, oh, okay. It was like a, it took my breath away. So we went and wrote two more songs, made sure there was enough Amanda. And I never told Amanda that. We've talked about it since. But I was like, all right, I need to get more Amanda on this album. Let's get more Amanda. But I mean, if I'm if I'm just a listener of Johnny Swim, I want to make sure there's a there's a good balance. So yeah, all that is to say yes. Well, you said you know, like in life, you're gonna make sure that if anybody is got more, it's her, right? One hundred percent. Sounds like wisdom, <laughs> born out of ten years of, <laughs> right. of marriage. Okay, so for all I'm single, give me the advice. What's the what have you learned as a husband? Yeah, that, that in the 10 years, because you guys are up there literally on a pedestal. Oh, man. Literally on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. And I know that you don't live that way. No, I don't. And you like aren't it. even aware of that. Mm -hmm. But like, 
every female out in that concert is elbowing the man she's with when she watches you. You know what I mean? And it's like, why can't you be more like him? Oh man! So like, she you're like, like the me. dream husband. Mm-mm. How did you? How did you? What's your secret? Yeah, no secret. Uh, Instagram can make you look really cool. I guess you know, uh, being on stage can make you look really cool. The and I don't know that this is a universal lesson, but this is the thing that comes to mind. The, as the biggest lesson I've learned in marriage is the following. I remember the moment when I, and I really feel like it was God himself speaking to me. I don't know how that all works. I know it's very mystical and amazing and beautiful, but I felt heavenly wisdom. Like one of these moments where you know what you, this is something I'm going to hold the rest of my life. And it was just this, this revelation that my greatest job as her husband and as her bandmate, because it's all, it's all melded together so much is to make space for her, to make room for her. And, I, and we were literally on stage when this happened. And make space sounds like a cheesy thing, but it was a song she was singing and I was just playing guitar. And that moment was such a symbol of my job as a husband. My role for a husband is to support her, hmm. but understand that she is the precious one. She is this, I will make sure the spotlight always shines on her. And I've got no problem playing guitar right behind her. I've got no problem. And that for me was such a symbol for life. Like I am to make room for her when, when she had her babies, our babies at home. There was an empowerment for me because she had both kids unmedicated at home in, in our bedroom. My job was to make sure the environment was right. My job, I remember there were certain family members that were really skeptical of a home birth. Those people weren't allowed in the room, just literally not allowed at the house at all. You can't even be in the, in the building. Make sure the energy around her was right the positive, you know, everybody speaking life to her, whatever. And it was such a symbol again of what, what it is to be a husband. Like, of course, and I don't, again, I don't know if that's for everybody. I don't know if that's a universal law. I don't know if that's a chapter in a book about husbanding. I know husbandry is plants. Yeah, I was gonna, husbanding No, is no, I think people. husbandry is breeding animals. Okay, yeah, so let's animal, not use that. Animal let's husbandry. Say, being a husband. I don't know if that's a law for being a husband, but I know for me that's been the biggest lesson, that my responsibility is in the room, in life, on stage, Wherever we are, my number one responsibility to her is to hold space for her, to let her grow into exactly how she's supposed to grow, for the world to see her as she is, who she is, as beautiful as she is, as amazing as she is. More than me doing anything, it's making space for her to just be as awesome as she is. I want to remind you that this episode of Unedited is brought to you by World Vision and their upcoming Global 6K for Water. It's a one-day event on May 4th where people from all over the world walk and run 6K in their own neighborhoods to bring lasting clean water to children in need. Not many people know this, but World Vision is the number one provider of clean water in Africa. So there's no better organization to get behind, and this is a perfect event to help raise money to make a difference. Why is it 6K? Six kilometers is the average distance women and kids in the developing world walk for clean water. Every step you take is one they'll no longer have to. The event takes place on May 4th. The whole relevant team is running it and we love for you to run it with us. Now, you don't have to be athletic. Everyone can participate. Whether you're in Los Angeles, Dallas, Minneapolis, or anywhere else in the country, you can find a group to join or even host your own group like the relevant staff is doing here in Orlando. Search for groups in your area or find out how to host your own at worldvision6k.org. Sign up today. Now, back to the conversation. 
Here's Abner Ramirez. Did you go into marriage thinking that? Or no. It- no, I just thought I was going to get laid a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. Good. That good. worked out different too, but... <laughs> the uh the 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 evolution though you know i think that that tension like a lot of newlyweds come into marriage with a certain mindset of what it'll be like and then the selfishness of you know like that a lot of husbands don't embrace what you t- just said yeah. you know that it, like dude you just gotta like <laughs> forget about yourself it's about yeah. her yeah I, I think that's a, a lesson that a lot of husbands don't learn yeah you know you, she, she seems your, your relationship seems special and 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 the story that we told in our magazine when you guys were on the cover last fall, like talked about how y'all met. It's one of my favorite origin stories <laughs> that you saw her at church and you were dating somebody else and you yeah. said, That's my wife. Yeah. I thought I thought it, but I said it. You literally said it. I said it out loud, yeah, and I got not, dumped. Not to the girlfriend. Oh yeah. Oh shut up. I mean, she was like right here sitting next to me and I just said, That's the girl I'm gonna marry. Oh out loud. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. And then when when did you finally start? Four years later, I met her. So you didn't even meet her that night? I didn't meet her for four years, yeah. Did and you see uh, her those four years? Like you saw her really. church? I've stalked her online. Okay. I followed her Zanga, for those of us elderly folks. Wow. To, uh, and it was right after the live journal. I think she had a live journal as well. Wow. And then MySpace was our first. Uh, I invited her to do a show over MySpace. You were living in Nashville? Yeah. And she was there too? She was in New York modeling. And so I had one of the early versions of like Google alerts, which was Googling her every day. <laughs> uh, anytime she would do a, like a, a new photo shoot or, you know, whatever, like some kind of, I'd go to Getty Images and I'd like, I'd had a little folder literally of <laughs> pictures of her. I literally on our first date, I told okay. her, I was like, I need you to hear this from me now. Because if you find out any other way, this is also just unacceptable, but if you find out Wait, any other way, it's worse. Date. You fessed up first date. Oh, first date. And it didn't scare her I, like, I got a folder with pictures of you in it. Like, was I've been tracking flattered? you for years. Well, I also told her on the first date, I was like, just so you know, I'd marry you tomorrow. I'd be your friend for the rest of your life, but I just plan on being around for a while. <laughs> it's not, again, it's probably not textbook. It's probably not the way it should go, but I just had a lot I needed to tell her. It was four years. And in those four years, I didn't date anybody. I didn't like, I didn't hold a hand. I didn't like, I so wasn't kissing on nobody. It wasn't like, I remember liking you back then, but you still lived your normal dating life. Bro, she you, changed my life the moment I saw her. And that's it, never happened in my life. It's never happened since, obviously. I mean, there's a line in the new album, uh, a song we, we recorded with the Michael McDonald. Again, some crazy. of the young folks may not know who oh, that is. Oh, come on now. Uh, no, the hip- you remember that all from the Family hipsters guy? love Michael McDonald, man. <laughs> They got onto Yacht Rock, ironically, That's and then exactly they fell right. in love. And they're in. It's That's like, it. oh, man, this is great. So Mike, Mike recorded on this song with us, and it's called The Last Time, and it's about that meeting. Not even that meeting. It's about seeing her from across the crowded room, and it changing my life. And the opening and closing line of the song is, the last time that I saw someone I want was the first time I saw you. Like, you shut it down from the first. Like, I hear, I was just listening to Rich Wilkerson Jr. the other day. And he's talking about love at first senior. sight ain't real. Not senior. No, you not had to, senior. You had to throw the junior, junior in there. Junior. Yeah. He's got the, have you seen him? With, he's got the class behind him now? No. Sermons is pretty awesome. It's pretty funny. Um, but I was watching a sermon and he was talking about love, romance. And I, I get down with everything he's saying. But he's like, you know, love at first sight ain't real. That don't happen. I was like, man, I, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't love. 
but it was something. I've never heard. I mean, like, so when I heard the story, please forgive me, Rich, if you hear this and like, no, I'm saying hey, it wrong. You're the you're proving the. Hey, he needs to not be out there saying stuff as fact. That's not fact. <laughs> you're calling him out. It's accountability. So the thing that I thought when I heard the story was what was in my head was you saw her at a like young adult service and that's growing to marry. And then like, you're just in her orbit for the next four years. No, did she like, went to New York? Y'all became friends and all that kind of stuff. Mm-mm. And then didn't date for four years, but like you kept seeing her and y'all became friends, that kind of thing. I did keep seeing her online. Right. <laughs> but that's crazy that well, there was like complete separation almost. Yeah. And we had mutual friends. So she knew of me and I okay. didn't know she knew of me because it was just far enough away. Yeah. And so it turns out she laughed super hard. I thought she was going to like walk away when I told her I had this folder full of pictures of her. She laughed and she said, you're never going to believe this, but I've been following you on Zanga and I've kept like, because you know, Zanga was all, it was like the opposite of Instagram. It was like just words and then hyperlinks to pictures that you need to click to another window to see the picture, right? So Zanga was just like talking like, hey, yeah, I just got back from such and such. It was so much fun. This is what I thought. It's like a journal for everybody to see. And she would save her favorite of my journal entries with the pictures in a folder on her desktop. She had, she, there was this guy, oh God, he's so cute. And he, look at, look how he writes this story. Like da, da, da. And she was saving my journal entries. So how, okay, this is crazy. This is crazy. Okay. How did you get on, how did that first date happen? It almost didn't. So the first date that didn't happen was much like life is now. We, a man and I, we love to gather folks. So if you come to our house on a typical evening, there's 10 people for dinner. Uh, four of us live there, and six of them were uninvited. They just showed up. And that's just the way our life is. That's the way our our orbit, that's how our orbit works. Like that's if you're just around, man. you're near Burbank, come on by, have a meal, let's go. Um, so it was like that. I was living with a guy named Matt Carney, a songwriter as well. Yeah, awesome. we and we Matt is actually the guy that introduced us for the first time. So it's all due to Matt Carney. Uh, so Matt and I lived together and we would have folks over all the time. And so, you know, four years go by, Matt introduced me to Amanda at a coffee shop at Cafe Coco in Nashville. And we have a big party. I invite her over to the house over MySpace or whatever. She comes over, there's tons of people. So that was our hanging out for months was just lots of people, lots of people, lots of people. I call her one day and you know what? Let's go see a movie. Cool. Yeah. What movie? Whatever movie. Okay. Yeah. I'll see you there. Cool. I'll see you there. I'm going to get off work and I'll just meet you there. It's right by the P.F. Chang's I work at. So I get off work. I change in the, you know. You're working at P.F. Chang's? Yeah. I change in the back. Amanda calls me. Hey, movie's at 7.30, right? Yeah, yeah, 7.30. I'm getting dressed now. I'll be right there. She goes, okay, who else coming? I was like, oh, no. Because, uh, see, I thought that I made it clear this was a date, but she thought this is just another big hangout. So she says to me, who's coming? And I say, you know what? I'm not sure. I know I called a couple people. I don't know who's all going to be there. Uh, but I know somebody be there. Don't worry. So I call another friend of mine by the name of Michael Cantrell in Nashville. I said, Mike, I need you to come to Carmike Thoroughbred Theaters in Cool Springs right now. This is like a once in a lifetime favor. I don't care what you're doing. I need you to leave and go to Carmike right now. I'm buying you a ticket. He's like, and all he said was on my way. Just, and he got in the car and he beat us all there. Right. Love it. And so our first date was uh, Amanda in the third seat. Michael Cantrell in the second seat in, no. the, in the middle and me on the outside. <laughs> Dude, uh-huh. that's, that's phenomenal. It was terrible. So that was what, 13 years ago? Yeah, man. 13 years ago. 13 and a half now. How, October how 1st old were y'all? Our, ooh, we were very young. 
How old am I now? I'm about to be 36. So I was 23. 22. I was 22 when we met. That's crazy. Yeah. And you knew. So when you were 18, four years earlier, when you were 18, that was the one. Yeah. That's wild. That's wild. Yeah, that doesn't seem... I'm not going to tell my son to do that. No. (laughs) I mean, well, I mean, in 18... Hey, telling an 18-year-old to say, hey... Maybe it was 19. I think 1923. That's what it is. And then we got married and I was 25. About to be 26. Yes. Dude, 19. There's some... Okay, there is something about 19. There's so many people that I've met like that end up being great leaders, entrepreneurs, or whatever, that something happened at 19. Mm. Like I, no, I'm not putting myself in that category, but my life was changed at 19. My life was changed at 19. Like I got the vision, the idea for relevant. Come on. At 19, wrote it all out. Like I, I, like I was up at the, um, there was a revival going on in Toronto called the Toronto Blessing. Yeah. Was that at the airport church? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And I'd heard about it and I went up there. I have a crazy story about those pastors. A great story. Anyway. I want to hear it. Yeah. Okay. So I was up there and I was there by myself and I saw like all these people from all over the country, all over the world coming because they were hungry and they heard God was moving. Right. And it was all these college students. I was in college. I was a sophomore. And I remember going back to my hotel room and I, at the end of the service, I don't remember who spoke or what it was about, but they, they said, if you, you know, if you want to be prayed for that, God would speak dreams into your life, you know, come up, we'll Mm. pray for you. And I was like, I mean, come on, I'm in sophomore college. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. You know? So I went out and had prayer. Nothing happened. I mean, it was just normal. But I remember going back to the hotel and in the lobby was like all these college students that were just like, there was a van from Indiana that came. Uh, People jumped in a car from Seattle and came and like all over the country, they came because they heard God was moving. They were just so hungry. Come on. And I I remember going out to my room that night and I was laying in bed and I couldn't sleep. Toss and turn, toss and turn. And I I saw like uh, an airport, like a map at the back of an airplane magazine. And I felt like the red dots of all the cities were like all these places where God was moving, right? And they were disconnected. There were dots. And and then I saw like the red lines connecting all the dots and became like a tapestry over the world. And I felt like that was the media. The media could connect and give voice and give platform to what God was doing. And I was like, and I felt like the Lord telling me like, that's what I'm calling you to do build this platform. And then like, just my mind just spinning. And finally around four in the morning, I turn on the light and I write it all out on a Marriott notepad. No way. And I still have it. And Come it was on, man. relevant. And it was the mission oh. of giving voice to what God was doing this generation. We're going to do this, 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 and this. And it was that night. And it was 19. And from that moment on, it was like, you said at 19, that's, that's the one I'm waiting for it. I said at 19, that's what God put me on this earth to do. Yeah, man. Unbroken focus. Let's I just go. went after it. Yes. Eight years later, the magazine debuted. Dude. Eight years. But it was something about 19, dude. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that are peers now that was like, it started when they're 19. Yeah. That's crazy. Tell me your story about the pastors at the airport vineyard. <laughs> so they, uh, they got brought down to Jacksonville, Florida, where a friend of mine asked me to fly in from Nashville to lead worship for the small event for his company. And it was like the family's... Lead worship for a company? Yeah, so the company had a bunch of believers in it. And so they had... They're like, you know what? We just get together at the office and like worship. Is that legal? No no pressure. I don't even know. (laughs) And so they they were going to fly in these pastors from the Toronto airport, whatever, vineyard, whatever, that church. And uh, they bring them in. They didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody. It was just like these families from this company and from this hedge fund in Florida. And so I lead worship a little bit. I go sit down. They preach and they start to pray for people. And they're, I could tell they're looking for an ally. And they saw, they look at me, and I was the guy that led worship. 
So I'm their ally. Abner, do you mind coming up here real quick? And I know without them saying it, I'm supposed to catch this person when they fall, when they get prayed for. And I grew up Southern Baptist. You did not. Oh, yeah. Super skeptical of all things miraculous and, and mystical or whatever. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, here we go. This you know what's going Southern Baptist. Oh, yeah. Hardcore Southern Baptist. And uh, so I go up there. I stand behind the lady. They pray for her. Sure enough, she falls over. I catch her later on the, later on the ground. And they're still praying for her. And they're laughing. It's like this thing. Like, well, I don't even know what's happening. And so all of a sudden, as I'm, I'm just standing there behind her. I could have gone back to my seat, I guess. My job was done. I start to feel this weight just like gradually begin to lay on me. And I keep waiting for it to go away, but it gets heavier and heavier. And it's like this compassionate, it, it had this whole like taste to it. Not literally, but it has this whole feeling, this feeling of like purpose and hope. But it was so heavy and so like more strong than I was. And I, my eyes started to go dark and I was about to to go, I was about to fall out. I was about to be the lady that I was just making fun of, you know, subconsciously being cynical of. Mm -hmm. And so I literally come to, I'm standing there. They had stopped praying. Everybody's looking at me. And in an effort subconsciously to keep myself from falling over, I'm just going, nope, 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 <laughs> nope. And then I, you know, saw myself back to my seat. Really? Yeah. <laughs> But now you're like hanging out with a bunch of charismatics and Hillsong and, yeah. and Rich Wilkerson Jr. and stuff. You're growing up Southern Baptist. Yeah, you've changed. Different. I've changed for sure. What was what was that? What was the change for you? What you're, in your spiritual life? I was 19, um, and uh, my dad was a Southern Baptist pastor in Cuba. He got saved at a, at a Baptist church, so that uh, that became the denomination, the focus. I'm whatever. about to go to Cuba for the first time. You are? Uh-huh. Come on. My man. family's going on vacation. No. Because my grandparents, they're like crews, you know. Yeah. But my grand and I was like, my mom hit me up about going to Cuba. I was like, why Cuba? Like, my mom doesn't yeah. like going downtown Orlando because it's so secular, you know? Like, <laughs> why, why do you want to go to Cuba? And she said, your grandparents have a history there. And like, the week after they got married, her mom and dad... They went to Cuba to plant churches. Wow! And there are several of them that are still going. No and we're way. gonna go Now that's opened up, we're gonna go visit them. And that's so I'm amazing. Like, so we're going on vacation, but we're gonna go visit Cuba that's and go, go try and track down churches that my grandfather started. That's insane. Isn't that dude. funny? That's so Small dope. Small world. Yeah. Yeah. And so I mean, yeah. Dad got saved. He was 16. He was a thug, like a little street kid. You know, fighting. His dad was assassinated by Castro when my dad was eight. This is a whole other podcast. Whoa. Just a big whatever. I'm gonna blur past that real quick. So dad. Grew up really tough life, get saved at 16, and he remembers the guy said, the blood of Jesus will cleanse you of your sins. The blood of Jesus will cleanse you of your sins. And my dad's like, this guy's stupid. He's never had blood on his hands. He's clearly never had blood on his hands. He doesn't know that blood can't clean anything. Mm. You can't even use that as an analogy if you've actually seen what blood will do, like a lot of blood will do. And he said, as he was thinking about the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus, he was overwhelmed. You know, went to the front, got saved, became like a pastor, went, you know, didn't even graduate high school, went to seminary, and they wouldn't let him into seminary because he didn't graduate high school. But the communist government was sending the students at the seminary to labor camps for an undefined amount of time. And so they were literally running low on students. And dad said, I'll get a job. I'll pay for being at the seminary, but you got to you know, let me in. And because they had no other students coming in, my dad, the street kid that hadn't graduated high school, got led into this seminary. So all that to say, you know, they come to the U.S., we're Southern Baptists. That's what they were in Cuba. So that's what we are now. But when I was 19, I was alone, living alone in Nashville. At the 18, living alone. 
And in this year from 18 to 19, my, my belief system became my own. It was no longer just the adopted beliefs of my parents. 100%. And so a lot of things were let go and a lot of things remained. The core of it remained for sure. The way it looked maybe changed. Right. But I th- not to get over spiritual because I don't talk like this too much, but the person of Jesus was always the focus at my house, right? Mm-hmm. My Southern Baptist pastor, dad, it was the person of Jesus, regardless of what all the other things are. Yeah, you know, I don't know too much about, you know, people getting healed and speaking in tongues and all that craziness. I don't, they never talked bad about it. Just not our personal experience, you know? Sure. And my experiences were drastically different to that which my parents had growing up in the church in this moment of my life. And so I really had a come to Jesus time. Right, or, It was at the same church where I saw Amanda. A few weeks before, I went because the girl I was with that broke up with me when I said, Amanda's the girl I'm going to marry, told me I couldn't date her anymore if I didn't come to church with her. So I came to church with her. My life was drastically changed in that day, literally. And my it was the moment that my beliefs became my own. They weren't just the adopted beliefs of my parentage. What church was it? It was Bethel World Outreach Center in Brentwood, Tennessee. Yeah. I lived in Nashville for a couple years after college, like 98 to 2000. So Bethel was on the other side of town, but I went to the Vineyard by, by, uh, actually by the airport, ironically, but I don't know what years it would have been. I guess it started going 2002. Yeah. Man. 2001, 2002. You edit this, right? Because I'm real boring and real chatty today. Uh, No, it's called unedited for a reason. Is it really? Yeah. Oh my God. Dude. Okay. No, so, so for those okay. of you that have lasted this long, I do apologize. My name is Abner Ramirez, and Dude, I'm the sorry. The whole vibe is like me hanging out with people that I'm interested in, and we're like going to dinner. Okay. And so this is just us talking at dinner. Stress. All right. So cool. okay. So so your faith becomes your own. Nineteen. Yeah. Three weeks later, see, I've never put the pieces together like this before. I see Amanda for the first time. I if my mom, my sister listens to this, yeah. So I can't say everything. Um, I was a worldly dude. Sure. For 18, living on my own for the first time. Sure. Using my guitar as a weapon. Sure. A weapon to attract young ladies. Sure. Um, and I, I, I used the weapon often sure. at the time. So seeing Amanda and the fact that my whole, like I shut down all like dating and everything for four years is like a massive deal when I look back. Like that just, the sight of her shut me down is insane. And then it happened three weeks after I mean, I got saved when I was six, sure. you know, but yeah. it was essentially my adult conversion happened three weeks before I saw Amanda for the first time. How have you like in your, what's funny to me is like knowing your early career stuff and you were like leading worship and mm-hmm. you know, this, that, and now the music you guys are making is Johnny Swim, like, you know, you, like has no faith, overt faith rep- reference at all. And like, but you guys personally live in a way where like, you haven't like walked away from your faith. You haven't drifted. You're strong. Like you said, you have meetings at your house with peers and you worship and you're involved in church and you're watching Rich Wilkerson Jr. sermons and stuff like that. And you're okay. (laughs) How have you like, you're okay with it. I mean, like you're okay being like um, public with your faith. Yeah. Like how have you straddled that? Like it's odd to me that somebody who lived in Nashville for nine years making music got out and isn't like typecast or or in that bubble or stuck yeah. in that bubble. And dude, when I met you the first time, it was at a Jesus Culture conference. Yeah, that's right. In right, just in passing, like it was just yeah. like you were there and I was there. We're just hungry. God's yeah. here. Why aren't we? I mean, why yeah. wouldn't I be here? You know. Yeah. 
that was when I was like, wait, I didn't know that he was like a real Christian. Like, I didn't know. Like, I didn't yeah. know. I just thought you were like one of those like cultural Christians and then you moved to LA. And Maybe it's I like, am. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. I no, mean, you no, wouldn't be, you. You, you know, it's like, how have you kept, how have you stayed plugged in? How have you not like, so many the, of your peers really have kind of, the faith component has kind of like waned, you know? 100%. Uh, the the way it works, and this I really do believe is, uh, uh, it's practical, it's, it's actually a real strategy, but it's just the way it is. We don't belong to the business of Christianity. Good. And very specifically, we do not belong to the business of Christianity. There And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with, well, there with is being a, a lot on a Christian ways. label. There's okay. nothing wrong with like being on Christian radio, right? There's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. But we don't belong to it at all. Okay. And so and it has been very intentional for you. Absolutely 100% intentional. First of all, because the business doesn't make sense for us. Right. It just, it's not what I do. Right. I, it's not what, what But comes when out you were starting naturally. out, it could have. It could have been. It could have been the path you chose. Could have been, but it wasn't. It just wasn't. How did you go from like leading worship, but then you go, now I'm going to make music that isn't that? Bro, I still lead worship. Who are you kidding? Johnny Swim, we could be singing about breakup songs. We could be singing about love songs. Could be singing about hopeful stuff. Mm -hmm. The goal is the same as any church I've ever led worship in when I was leading worship. I want the presence of God to show up. I want mm. people. I want people to feel what. When I think when I was nineteen and I encountered the, the presence of Jesus for the first time in my adult life, mm -hmm. I the number one thing I felt was I felt known, I felt seen, and I felt accepted. Mm. I felt somebody saw me for who I was, and it was what they saw was okay. Mm. I had been weighed and I had been measured, and I had not been found wanting. You mm. know, and that is the goal of any Johnny Swim show. I don't care what you believe. Literally, don't care. I am not there to convert you at all. What I want you to feel is I want you to feel seen. I want there to, you to be able to have words and melodies to put to your life now mm. because of what you've experienced. And I want you to be found not wanting, to be seen, to feel known, or to be found accepted and acceptable as you are, period. I, 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 uh, two, two of the most profound worship environments and worship moments that I've been in, and, and I, this is not to say anything. I mean, Hillsong United and all these great worship right, experiences yeah. that we've had are, are are on another level. But right. I remember I was at an Arcade Fire concert, mm. and I was there in Lollapalooza, Chicago, and there was you know hundred thousand people at their concert, and there was this line where one of their big songs from 10 years ago. And it was like, purify me, purify my heart. And I saw a hundred thousand people with their hands raised Ooh. and dude, there was just, just a, a crying out for God. And they didn't even know that that's what they were doing. Yeah. You know, it was a worship experience. And then at a Coldplay concert, yeah, dude, Chris Martin. I mean, when you find out more about his story and that his family are like worship leaders in the mm. UK and like, he's kind of the black sheep cause he's doing secular <laughs> music or whatever. But like, there is like church in him. Yeah. And like, I mean, dude, I was at a Coldplay concert and I was like, why does it feel like the presence of God in this place right now? Well, let's go. Yeah. You know, it was incredible. I mean, think about Jesus. People didn't show up. They didn't show up for their friend to get healed and get stopped at the door and asked what they believed and if they were given 10%. Okay. They showed up to the door and if they couldn't get in, they'd cut the roof open and get in somehow. Yeah. That's what hanging out with Jesus looked like. Hanging out with Jesus looked like drinking wine and telling stories. Right. Stories that would change your life. Right. Right. I mean, it's not, I just don't, I'm so, I'm so proud of what we do. I'm so passionate about what we do because I really do believe at my core that we are, we are showing people the person of Jesus hmm. and I, and it has nothing to do with conversion because, because again, we don't belong to the business of Christianity. Like I don't, I genuinely don't find it in, in, and Amanda would correct me, I'm sure. I don't find, I don't, 
I just want you to, I want you to be able to walk in limping and walk out whole. Hmm. I want you to be able to walk into a Johnny Swim show and be able to, as you walk in, feel like all the worries you had just outside, feet away from where you are now, about to enter a theater, a bar, a venue, wherever we're at, that those things peel off of you and you don't know how they did. You've been trying to forget some of that stuff that hurts you. You've been trying to feel hopeful. You've been trying to let go of the hopelessness or the dark thoughts or the, 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 all the negativity, and you haven't been able to, but somehow you walked into this bar and it slid off you. And for the next 90 minutes, your life was changed. Hmm. That's what I want, man. I want it bad. I want it bad. How have you, how have you stayed? I mean, it seems like it's an intentional thing that you guys have stayed. I mean, because you can't belong. I mean, I'm sure you go to a church as you can, but you can't like be involved like normal people can because yeah. your life's on the road. Yeah. And so like, how do you keep the pipeline? How do you keep connected to your faith? And, and like, has it been hard? Yeah. You know? It hasn't been hard. I don't think. Maybe it has. But right now, it doesn't feel like it has. We go to Zoe Church in LA. Chad Veach is our pastor. We love it. We serve there. I lead worship there occasionally. Do you really? Yeah, for sure. They should uh, put that on the flyer tonight. <laughs> Johnny Swim leading worship. Man, we've got we've got <laughs> friends, dear friends of ours. Uh, pastor Jeremy Foster in Houston, Texas, is a dear personal friend of ours, and Hope City Church. And so whenever we're on the road, Houston's right in the middle of America. Houston's an easy place to get in and out of. So we often find ourselves at Hope City Church. We consciously make time to be at church whether we're at home in LA or on the road and there's churches we love to visit do you really yeah while we're gone in Philadelphia Pastor Dan Fessler it's actually in New Jersey but we like saying Philly better um is it in Trenton right over the river it's just right there yeah it's right there they're the Philadelphia 76ers but they still practice in Jersey yeah that's true that's true um so there's a church in Jersey that if I'm being honest that we love to visit the Waters Church um, yeah, like it's, we have a strong community at home. We can only be as effective away from home. We can only be as effective when we're gone mm-hmm. as we're effective when we're at home. Mm-hmm. At home is, we're just as conscious, if not more so, when we're home mm-hmm. to build something, to gather people. It's smaller, it looks different. We're not selling tickets, you know? But our friends, we care about our friends. I've married two of our dear friends. I've, I've officiated two weddings of our inner circle of homies. Um, and those are folks we've prayed with. There was a point where before Johnny Swim was alive and kicking, uh, every Thursday for years, for like three years, we met Thursday nights, we'd drink wine, we'd make meals together. We'd have a theme night, whether it was Mexican or breakfast for dinner or pizza on the grill, whatever it was. There was a group of like 15 of us every Thursday for years. We never missed a Thursday for years. We'd get together, we'd pray, we'd worship, we'd pray for each other. We'd eat, we'd drink, we'd watch YouTube videos. And I, I honestly think that still to this day, as far as like what we give, not just the songs we write, but what we have to give, still pulls from that. Dude, that, I, that gathering thing, man, I was at, um, one of the times I was in Israel, I was able to join a, a Jewish family for a Shabbat dinner. Mm. Have you ever done that? No. So it's Friday night. Yeah. You know, they shut down. Yeah. No technology, no, nothing. I mean, turn the phones off, everything. And they uh, and the family gathers and they gather friends and they all come together and they um, they celebrate Shabbat and it's wine and endless food and stories and singing and and they welcomed me and my group and to their family for that and it left mm. an imprint on me. Come on, man! And so I came back and uh, started doing family dinner. 
Oh, it was like cool. the first Friday of every month, and I would just have friends. We'd set up a long table in the backyard, and just I'd, I'd get uh, <laughs> I couldn't cook, so I I, uh, I did Olive Garden takeout. <laughs> oh for no, you Come didn't. On. The big trays. No, Come on, but dude. Why Olive Garden? Because it was easy. Oh. Like so, I'll find something better now. But Cameron. you know. But it was the same thing of just like, I wanted to give to others what that family gave to me. Yeah, man. You know? Yeah. And it's a connection and just spending time with people. Yeah. And just the, that means the world. And then Bro. I moved. I've been renovating a house. I haven't been able to do it in a year. <laughs> I miss it. Yeah. I'm listening to you talk about this. I'm like, I crave that, man. Bro, what is life? I heard this once. I don't know who said it, whatever. But it's so simple. Probably a million people have said it. But the meaning of life is to live. Mm. That's just it. Like we're 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 living. We're supposed to live. That's the point. I came to give life, not just life, but life more abundantly. Like we're supposed to live an abundant life, and life alone is no life at all. Mm. It's just not. I mean, you need to set yourself apart sometimes. You need to find time to recharge alone. I like flying by myself. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot. I read a lot of books. I listen to a lot of music. I used to watch a bunch of movies, but I don't anymore because it's like a beautiful. I don't know. Sometimes it's a pain, but it's like it's my time when I'm alone on a plane. You know. What it, do you listen to when you when you travel? Eighty Eight Keys is a playlist on Spotify that I listen to all the time. There's one called Pause, without an E, just P A U S period. That I listen to. I listen to a lot of instrumental music, a lot of classical music. Really? Yeah. From the moment I step foot out of the car in the airport parking garage to the moment I arrive at my hotel in whatever city it is, I've listened to Drake nonstop. <laughs> I can't help it. I have this like Drake playlist. It's just, it's all edited for those who are offended. Whatever. I listen to clean up. I'm offended that it's edited. edited. I know. I know <laughs> my friends make fun of me, but I'm like, I don't know. I just, I grew up in the early nineties and bought all my hip hop from Walmart. And so it was like <laughs> all clean. Right. So I just like no uh, radio. Early versions. 90s buying cassettes. That's awesome. No, Yeah. And I was listening to CDs from Walmart and they didn't sell the dirty version. So like, I never knew explicit hip hop and it just stuck with me. I don't know. So you didn't know hip hop. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. That's I know, awesome. right? Isn't that funny? Oh, man. Yeah, that, I don't listen. I listen. Yeah, I mean, I listen to everything because there's always music playing at our house. Our life is music. Right. But uh, there's a lot of, yeah, it's curated. A lot of instrumental stuff. A lot of jazz. Dude, the other night, I was, uh, I, I came across, every, every year I go to Montana mm. with these guys. Like, just go and get away for a week yeah. and just connect. Is it have, like the duck hunting thing and the fishing thing, the fly fishing? And the- yeah, the fly fishing thing. And uh, every time I, so one uh Last year, there was a guy on the trip um, who was out in LA and I didn't know him. I met him on the trip and um, he said, oh, my dad lives uh, near Orlando. You know, so I'm there a few times a year or whatever. He's an old elderly guy. And after the trip, I get a call from him. He said, hey man, I'm going to be coming in town. My, my dad passed away last night and I'm going to be coming to take care of his home. And uh, I'd love to see you. And so we got together and we were talking and uh, he goes it's about an hour away from town. He goes to kind of take care of his dad's affairs. And his dad was a record collector Uh and he had 1500 albums of like forties, fifties, sixties, jazz, like classic stuff. No way. And, and, and I own it now. I own his entire life's library. Bro, that's amazing. So now that I've gotten into this house and we're now on the other side, getting on the other side of renovation, I finally set up the vinyl, finally get all out and I'm going through it all. Oh. So last night I was making dinner for me and my son and I put on this uh, 1972 live concert, Teddy Pendergrass. Come on, man. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> it was like my nine-year-old, I'm like running to turn that off after a minute. I was like, the ladies were going crazy. So anyway, I'm, I, but I am determined That's to go awesome. through every album of his life. You know, I just got to be aware 
of of Teddy Pendergrass. Teddy Pendergrass ain't Walmart no more, son. (laughs) It's not something that my nine year old has been exposed to. But my mom raised me on like Motown, Black Gospel, and stuff. So I like I, I like I like grew up listening to. Marvin Gaye and you know going up into Black Gospel and stuff like that but I the live concert Teddy Pendergrass yeah, uh, yeah. was a little more blue than the radio version but <laughs> anyway I the same thing I want to have a home where my son's memory of his childhood is music was being yeah, played yeah you know there's a soundtrack to life there yeah you know that, that's important to me man Ooh, what a question what's my son's memory of his childhood gonna be right because we all have so I remember going to bed in this little town, so we live in a bad part of town. My my dad was working several jobs. He was trying to start his company. He was a reporter for the paper. And my mom stayed home with me. So, you know, money was tight. My memory of my childhood from ages three to eight was being put to bed, laying in bed, and my mom would go in the other room and put on like black gospel albums while she did whatever she did. But I fell asleep every night listening to her music every night. That's what I remember That's of my so childhood. Dope. And like those albums, which I now have because she gave me all of her old vinyls. Like her I album. thought you were going to say your memory was getting put to bed and your parents putting Teddy Pendergrass on. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, dude, the, she has a lot of Al Green and she has a lot. Uh, she had a lot of those albums. Maybe that was for the late night. But that's what I remember. I remember. Awesome. So like the music is so formative to me. And it's like, I do think about that with my son. Yeah. Like, what is he going to look back and remember other than video games? Right. You know? Yeah. And it's like, no, man, like when I'm dead and gone or whatever, just old or he's out on his own, he's had his own kids. What's going to be that thing that like molded him that I'm doing with intentionality now? Yeah. You know? And it's going to be, Dang. we have a house full of people. Yeah. We give to others. We live for others. We music and laughter and like that's going to define our home life. Yes, man. Let's you know? go. Let's do it. Hey, so you mentioned Houston. Yes. I have always wondered this. So when I first, before I met you and stuff, when I first started watching Chip and Joe's show like years ago, and they were talking about you and you guys are doing the theme song and stuff like that, I thought you lived in Texas. (laughs) I thought you were like in their little circle of friends. And then I find out you're living in Nashville and in LA. Yeah, man. How did you become friends with Chip and Joanna Gaines? So Amanda and I had this rule with with our agency years ago. Uh, no reality TV ever. Like we don't do reality TV. We're not going to be on it. We're not going to whatever. Da, da, da. Uh, we don't want our music used in it because there was one uh, show called Love and Hip Hop back in the day. There was like a scene where a guy breaks up with a girl and then he throws a pair of her panties at her that he that she left at his house and under it was diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, you know, this thing, this, let's just say no forever. So we that's phase one. No reality TV, Johnny Swim, Period. Phase two, home for Christmas. Mom had recorded, had DVR'd this TV show that she loved. She wanted to show us called Fixer Upper. She had all two seasons DVR'd and she would just binge watch them. We'd binge watch it with her, fall asleep on the couch watching it, whatever. Get back to LA. Hey, there's this reality TV show. Guys, we don't do reality TV. Yeah, but they want they actually want you to be on an episode. Guys, we're not going to do, well, why is this even coming up? Well, it's a show called Fixer Upper. It's kind of an up and coming show. Da, da, da. And Amanda, like, we're on a conference call and Amanda helps me. She goes, isn't that the show your mom loves? It's like, yeah. All right, what is it? Let's, let's talk to them. Let's figure it out. They go, well, they actually want to call you. Okay, sure, whatever. Let's get on the phone with them. So I had just been introduced to Chip and Joanna Gaines because of my mom's DVR at home. And next thing you know, we're driving and we get a call from Chip and Joe. And Joe, out the gate, maybe not first thing, but we talk. You know, we'd love for you home to be our theme song. 
honestly, nothing would make my mom happier. So please, can we please do that? And I hate to even say that way because it's such an honor and it's changed our life. Their, their friendship to us has been insane and amazing and so generous and so kind. So I don't want to minimize it and be like, yeah, we did it because my mom liked it. But that really was like a, the, the thing at first that was like, okay, mom's going to trip. So let's do it. And Joe says, this is going to sound weird, but I got to tell you, I was listening to Diamonds the other day. I was listening to your first album. It was our only album at the time. Listening to your album. And I felt like God spoke to me. And I don't know where you guys are at with all this, she says to me. She said, I felt like God said we're supposed to be friends. <laughs> and we're like, that's awesome. That's totally our language. Like, yes, whatever. And she said, I feel like God's doing something with marriages. And he's showing people that marriages can work. That good, healthy Christian marriages aren't the worst thing on earth that they can work, that you can love somebody till you die, whatever. And I feel like, you know, we're all a part of that. And, you know, and from that moment, we've loved them. We would, we would move heaven and earth on their behalf. I had no idea that it was like your agency put together a deal to do that. That's crazy. Cause like literally the way it comes across on the show is just like, you guys have been like, you guys went to Baylor together and you just are hometown long-term friends. And that's Man, so funny. We're homies now. Yeah, they yeah, are yeah. dear, dear friends of ours. Like absolute dear friends. Are they the real deal? They're the absolute real deal. Absolute real deal. They're awesome. I just, they, they like you guys, they seem too perfect. <laughs> you know, you know what's cool? All right. Random story. I was at dinner with Joel Osteen. It was Joel and Victoria, for real. Joel and Victoria meet Amanda. Joel and Victoria, dear friends of ours, love them. Um, we're in Beverly Hills. After dinner, we're having dessert. A homeless lady comes up. We're sitting outside, asks for money. And I just quickly, offhandedly, not even thinking about it, no, I don't got Like, I just don't want to be, I'm at dinner. What are you doing? Like, no. And Joel's like, well, you know, I, I don't carry cash, but here, have my dessert. And he literally hands her his plate. And like gives her his entire like cake that we were all sharing, first of all. So it was a little mm, rude. Thanks, Joel. <laughs> no, but he was like super generous, super kind. And I said to Joel, I was like, man, I don't know how you do it. He said, what do you mean, Abner? What? That's my best Joel, sorry. Yeah, it's pretty good. I'm trying not to, I hope that's not insulting. I'm genuinely trying to do a good Joel. And I was like, man, I couldn't be a professional Christian. I was like, that's just, if I don't give her money, I'm just a guy that didn't give her money. But somebody sees you turn down a homeless person. Right. Asking for somebody, you're Joel. That's Joel Osteen denying someone, being a being you know being a bad person or being whatever. Like, that just feels like a lot of pressure. I so well, like, takes well, a, well, like that time, time his wife got kicked off an American Airlines flight because she was like rude and obstinate. Like it hits the news, yeah, because it's her, yeah, not because it was somebody, yeah, you know, yeah. I see what you're saying. So I think there's a there's a I do not take lightly that God calls people to full time ministry, mm. and I believe being a Christian musician. Christian music artists, like in the business of Christian music, mm -hmm. that's a call. It has to be from God. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, that's kind of what, you know, it is what it is. Um, so I think that's, that's a thing, right? I think you have to be called to be a professional Christian. I am not called to be a professional Christian. Mm -hmm. I am called to, by all means, help people like remove the baggage as they walk in the door, leave healed, but I'm going to be drinking whiskey while we do it. Mm -hmm. Period. Full stop. Sorry. Be offended. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I'm not a professional Christian, and I'm proud of that. I think there's a there's a latitude given to us that are ab, that are believers in the call of God and the love of God for this world, and Chip and Joanne are part of this. That don't have to follow all the rules a professional Christian does. Mm -hmm. And you get one, you get to reach more people. Two, in some ways, you get you get to do a broader good, right? Mm -hmm. And I really think that was all that to say. The question was, are they the real deal? They are so the real deal. 
And I'm so glad they don't, they're not professional Christians. I'm glad they are just themselves. And then you get to see who they really are. And that's really them on TV. Chip really is a nutcase. He's a seven for sure. Is he as exhausting as he seems like he is? <laughs> no, he's awesome, man. He's a, he's an energizer bunny for sure. Joe and Amanda are basically the same person. Really? Yeah. Like me and Chip will talk, as you could tell, I don't know if you've noticed, can talk for hours nonstop. But then when Joanna Gaines is going to say something or Amanda Grace Sudano is going to say something, the world stops and the world listens. And it's usually that the little spark that they give that makes everything move. That's, and that's amazing. That's amazing. So to wrap things up, your album's going to come out. April 19th. April 19th. Yeah. It's also Good Friday. Oh, nice. Album coming out on Good Friday. So when Jesus died, that's when your album's coming out. <laughs> just, just the veil was torn. The, yeah. the earth shook. That's it. We figured just, it needed another reason to celebrate. Good Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you guys will hit the road. You guys got some big stuff. Where, what's your hope for this next season? What's your dream? What's in your gut even? Oh, man. Everything. I want to do everything. I want to... Is it, is it Grammys and stadiums? Is it theaters? Is it like, do you see things changing? Or is it like, you guys are in a great vibe, great place now, and I want to keep that rolling? Or do you like, no, 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 pour gas on the fire? Yeah, we want to pour gas on the fire. All right. I want to pour gas on the fire with this album. And I think it's possible. I think it's the best work we've done. I, I'm so proud of, I'm proud of my wife. I'm proud of our team, Malejo, our producer. And uh, he's also our, our, the president of our label. Is just of genius of a human and to be able to work with him on this album. I just, I'm ready for the world to, to hear it, to consume this album and to see what we've got for him live. And I want to, yeah, I want to keep building the thing. I want to, I want to absolutely pour gas on the fire. Stadiums. Yeah. I want to sell out the Rose Bowl for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it can happen on this album, probably not, but can this album be a step in that direction? I hope so. Nice, man. That's I awesome. want to sell out the Rose Bowl with a guitar. We have a t-shirt that we, we don't sell. Maybe we should. But the Ryman has always been Mecca. One day we're going to sell out the Ryman. You know, we couldn't book it. Oh, you don't have an album out. Oh, you don't have a radio single. We love the Ryman. We love the people at the Ryman. We love our booking agent that we're with now. We love Bobby Cudd was our first booking agent. He was amazing as well with Marty Diamond now. Um, first time we sold out the Ryman, we made a t-shirt for our team that says, we sold out the Ryman without a radio single which is a really big deal for us. And so we're about to go play the Ryman again this summer, and we sold it out in three days. So we're making a T-shirt. says we sold out the Ryman in three days without a radio single. So our fans are like, our fans carry this thing. We've broken the mold for a lot of people. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that a band without popular demand on radio or placements on TV can sell 3,000 tickets, 2,000 tickets all over America. Sold 1,400 tickets in Amsterdam, and I'd never even been there. They, I mean, whatever. I don't know. I'm, I, we have the best fans in the world, and we'll go play live for them until we die. For sure. That was Abner Ramirez. Make sure to check out Johnny Swim's new album, Moonlight, when it releases April 19th. You can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Johnny Swim and find out when they'll be touring near you at johnnyswim.com. If you haven't seen them live yet, put it on your bucket list. Hey, if you liked this episode of Unedited, I'd love your help spreading word about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts helps a ton, as well as sharing it on social media. And don't forget to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. We're running a great deal right now at relevantmagazine.com slash subscribe. 
Well, thank you for listening. I'm Cameron Strang. I'll see you next time here on Unedited. Relevant Podcast Network.